Hey guys, welcome to Home Church Scotland. I'm Pastor Dave and welcome to our weekly podcast. Guys, if you're encouraged by what you hear today, why not check out our social medias? Just search for Home Church Scotland. Or why not subscribe to our YouTube channel where all of our services are live and in full for you to enjoy at your listening pleasure. We're in Mark chapter 12. If you're new with us today, um, we, we tend to just teach through books verse at a time uh, because I want us as a church to understand what God's trying to say to us through his word and I care far more about his thoughts and feelings than I do about mine. Uh, what it means is we know that as we study the scripture every week, we're truly hearing from God and not from me because it's his words and not mine. And so um, we're in Mark chapter 12. We've been in Mark for about two years. <laughs> Some folk are like, when's it ever going to come to an end? Uh, anyway, it's great. I hope you're enjoying it as much as me, learning a whole lot through it and God's challenging me a lot through it, which is great. So I trust and pray that he's doing that for everyone here as well. So we're in chapter 36, sorry, 35 this morning and I'm only going to read to the end of verse 37. Hence probably why it's taken me two years because I'm doing a couple of verses at a time, but that's okay. So uh, we're in Mark chapter 12, verse 35. It says this, and as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David, calls him, uh, David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. So this is a quote from Psalm 110, which David himself wrote, and uh, Jesus is quoting from that. We, we find ourselves in a situation, just to give a quick recap for anyone that's not been here over the past few weeks. Jesus has been attacked by a lot of people. He's, the people, there's questions coming to him from Herodians, from Sadducees, from people just trying to trip him up but he's just batting him away like a pure champ, like just amazing answers that are blowing uh, people's minds up. And then someone comes to him with a genuine question, which we looked at last week, what's the greatest commandment? And of course, we know that's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbour and of course, to remember that the Lord our God is one. So Jesus gives that amazing answer last week and then Jesus goes on uh, to teach uh, something that he wants to say and he talks about David um, and uh, he talks about the fact that the Christ is greater than David. Now that's very significant because in Jewish culture, the ancestors are always greater. So like they're very big on like the firstborn. And so the first of anything is, is the greatest. So the Jews, as we know, had a whole lot of uh, misconceptions about who the Christ was going to be, about who the Messiah was going to be. They did think, obviously, he was going to be some sort of big military leader. Like they got probably some of the understanding of it, but they had this misconception that by being the son of David, he was like just a slightly lesser version than what David actually was. And Jesus is batting that right out of the park from minute one and being very, very clear and declaring that he himself is uh, 
greater. He's the name above all names. We looked at that last week. There's only one God and he's higher than everything else. And Jesus is making a really, really clear point of that here in Scripture. What's really important as well is, you know how I was talking about, I can't remember if it was last week or a week before, but some people have this weird misconception or, I mean, the Bible warns us against it. There's nothing that we find today, by the way, that we don't find in the Bible, but the Bible warns us against false teachers. These guys that are going to turn up and say, the Bible isn't really the inspired word of God. It's just a guide. It's a bunch of metaphors, or it's a bunch of this, or it's a bunch of that. Jesus himself is saying that when David wrote the Psalm 110, he says, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, Jesus has literally said that it's the Holy Spirit that gave the words to David that ended up in the Bible. And it's the same for every single word in the Bible as Holy Spirit breathed through whoever the author is onto the pages of scripture. So anyone that would ever try and tell you anything else is just a fruitcake and you shouldn't listen to them. It's nonsense. The word of God is the word of God. It's not the interpreted word of somebody else. It's the word of God. But David goes on to say, the Lord said to my Lord. So the Lord, in the original language, it was Yahweh, which is like the God. The Jews understand that. The Lord said to my Lord, said to Jesus, sit in his right hand, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under feet. So Jesus is really clearly explaining, really simply, that if King David called the Christ his Lord, then, then I don't come under him. Christ doesn't come under him, but Christ is over. Uh, we, we obviously know that Christ himself is actually God, but Jesus is making a really, really strong point here about who exactly he is and what that should mean to people. And it says that the great throng helped him gladly. Now remember, there's a whole lot of tension going on right now. Massive amount of tension. This is within the last week of Jesus' life and make absolutely no mistake about it. The, the rulers already want Jesus dead. We know that. They want him gone. They want him eradicated. And if, if when they heard Jesus say, I'm greater than King David, if they could have took him and stoned him at that very point, they would have done it. Make no mistake about that. So I'm, I'm reading this and what I'm seeing really strongly is actually something that I feel is really significant for a church because this great throng, great crowd of people were listening to Jesus and were loving what he was saying because it was life and it was truth and they were astonished by his words. They were so positive about what Jesus was saying that the people that wanted him dead had no chance. Because if people at that moment had tried to arrest Jesus, if the ruling class had, had at that moment done anything against Jesus, they'd have had a whole crowd against them. And that was a fight that they didn't want to take on. So people's positivity, people's gladness towards Jesus was enough at that time to protect Jesus. And so I was reading that this week and just thinking to myself, there's some strategy in that for us. I love to read the Bible and apply it to MDLs. I have to go, right, okay, that's what happened then. But what does that mean to me today? What does that mean to home church today? And I believe there's some really awesome strategy in this that God can use if we put it into practice to strengthen our church. And I want a stronger church. I think this church is amazing, by the way. But it doesn't matter where we get, I want it stronger. 
doesn't matter how good it gets, I want it healthier. Like, I just, I just want to keep going forward. Like, make no mistake, I think God's anointing is firmly on this church. I think it's on other churches as well, by the way. I'm sure it is. But it's definitely on our church. I, I've never quite seen anything like it. I'm nearly, I've nearly been here five years, almost, uh, come September. And uh, whilst I believe what I've seen, what I've seen has been incredible, uh, you know, I think to myself when I came here September 2018, um, when we were struggling to get 20 people out on a Sunday, and if you told me five years down the line, you'll be looking after like 240, 250 people in the Kirky campus, and you'll have another campus open, which is getting nearly 100 out. I just have been like, you mad? Do you know what I mean? I, would, I don't think I'd have, I mean, I believed it was going to be all right. Do you know what I mean? I believed it was going to go well or I'd never have came. But it's definitely exceeded my expectations. But I, but I believe that, like, all that well and good, that's brilliant. I just believe there's so much more to come. I mean, like, I believe what the, the last five years are nothing in comparison to what the next 10 years are going to be. So uh, if you're not up for the roller coaster, you might as well just get off the new. Do you know what I mean? But, <laughs> I mean, it's going to be good. We're go I just believe God's going to move in power. I really, really, really do. I strongly believe it. God's given me, God's given me vision. God's shown me stuff that makes me like just crazy excited. Uh, I mean, I know if I speak on behalf of myself and the leaders, we're buzzing, aren't we? Like we're pure up for it, right? We're, we're just like, sorry, I'm buzzing. I'm buzzing, man, like, because I'm, I just think, I just think God's going to move. I just, I just believe, I believe there's a mighty move of God coming to this church. But, <laughs> do you know what comes with mighty moves of God? Mighty attacks. Big ones. Really big ones. And so I feel, I'm reading this this week, and I'm like, I believe God's given me a strategy against attacks. You know what I mean? Like, we know they're going to come, guaranteed, but how good would it be to be able to deflect them? You know, like we had an almighty tennis bat. Here's tennis again. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Here comes an attack. I'd love that. Strategy. God can give a strategy. And the Bible's really, really clear on that. You can't have growth without attack. Right? You can't, you can't achieve great things for God and not be attacked. We've got it all back to front. We get concerned when attacks come. We should be concerned when they're not coming. Yeah. If they're not coming, we're like, I'm not achieving nothing here. I'm no, we can't be taking ground because it's been really, really easy. Fortunately, this phenomenal growth that we've seen has not been that easy. You know what I mean? So I'm like, yeehaw, then we know we're walking, like we know we're doing okay. Attacks can come from different places. And from different reasons. Satan will try everything. He's got no new tricks, by the way. They're always the same tricks, so we know what's coming, right? But right, he'll, he'll use people inside, and he'll use people outside, and he'll try and hurt you. That's just what he does. That's just how he, he kind of works. So we, we're in an unfortunate situation in this country, in my opinion, where like any time a church does well, other churches are jealous of it, and I don't know why. I'm kind of of the opinion if one wins, we all win. And I'm kind of of the opinion if one's something, we're all hurting. But actually what you find is when you're growing and taking ground, other folk go, who do you think they are? Or we're like, why, why, is, that, why is that going on there? And, um, you know, I really, 
I, I, I believe I, I've heard some stuff even, you know, from, from churches that are kind of concerned at what we're doing in Carmel and that. And I'm like, it's nuts to me because I think it's brilliant. Yeah. See what I mean? I don't think there's nothing negative about people being saved. There's nothing negative about churches growing. You can't find uh, anything in it. But, but actually what you'll find is, right, there'll be a defensiveness because a group of people sat round a table and said, that church is dead. We need to close it. We're just exposing their stupidity because they said that church was dead. There's nothing about God's church that's dead. Amen. Not a thing about it, right? There might be people making mistakes or, or whatever, I don't know, people turning away from God. Where God is honoured, churches grow. It's really, really simple. But there'll be people that have said that that church is dead and they desperately don't want to be proved wrong because we care more about being right than we do about God's will being done. That's really scary, isn't it? So I do believe like we're going to get some sort of a opposition with regards to Carmel because people said it was dead and uh, it isn't dead. I spoke like last week, the week before, the, the word was really, really clear to us. Like, I want us to be authentic Christians. I want us to be the best we can be. I want to be the best I can be. And I pointed out that sometimes, like, sometimes as leaders, we're going to have to be correctable or we're going to have to correct people and, and redirect people. I've been very, very honest. I hope you understand and can see that as I'm preaching about what God's corrected me in, right? So I'm not saying a whole lot of stuff needing corrected, but I'm all right. I'm not all right. I, I'm, and I'm, and I, I, hopefully, hopefully I agree. I've been quite open in saying like, man, here's what I've got wrong. Here's what God's corrected me. But um, I want us as a church to be correctable and I want us to go in the right direction. And like not, not correcting people isn't biblical and not correcting people isn't loving. If we love people and if we want to be a biblical church, we don't have an option but to correct people. It's the only option we've got. But the thing is, if we want to be a biblical church that does that, pointing people towards a better future, some people will no like it. Surprise, surprise. Some folks don't like correction. Have you noticed that? I never used to like it, by the way. I've come to a place where actually... I do like it because I, I think it's a good thing. I like, and it, it does take you to move forward to you kind of realize that. Like I heard somebody say once and it's so true, like the day I got convicted of sin was the best day of my life. And I'm like, that guy's right. Like the day, the day you, you realize that this behavior is wrong is a wonderful day. It's not a bad day. It's not a negative thing. It's a wonderful thing. But what you find is again, when, you know, they say in football terms, and it's true, like, the best form of defense is what? Attack. It's just like that in life. The best form of defense is attack. So where people are maybe defensive and only that happy with you saying stuff, then attacks will come against you. So if we're a church, uh, which, we, which we will be because we want to be biblical and we want to do things right. So if we're a church, they try and as one move towards a higher standard and move towards closer and closer to Christ, some folk aren't going to like it and there's going to be attacks coming. Does that make sense? It's easier to point the finger at others and than to actually take responsibility for things sometimes. So that, you know, correcting and that, it's not easy, but I just, I just want a healthy church. That's what I want. 
I would take a small and healthy church over a large and non-healthy church any day every week. But option number three is my preference, a large and healthy church, right? <laughs> that's my preference. That's the, hopefully that's where we're going, right? But, uh, but, but I believe we're, we're, we're going to get there. And so, but, but healthy, healthy is the key. Size isn't, size is not the aim for us as a church. Health is, is the aim for us as a church. If I have nine people hating me, but one person accepting loving correction and therefore walking closer to God for the rest of their life, I'm going to take that any day of the week. Now that can be a sacrifice. That, that isn't necessarily easy, but I'll take nine folk hating me if one person's walking closer to God. And I'm not saying that, by the way, to be defeatist or like, woe is me. And that, not at all. I'm just being real and understanding the, the reality that we live in. But you see, the thing is, right, we can all get concerned and we can all get upset about attacks when they come from outside, from inside, from, from whoever it is. We can drop our heads. We can let the issues consume our lives. We can let the issues steal our peace. Or we can go, the Bible says, if I'm doing well, I'm going to get attacked. You're a dancer. <laughs> I like that option better. Anybody else? Like the Bible says, and I'm not even saying that, you know, this is me trying to prepare us for our future because when we keep going, moving forward, and we keep taking ground for God, some stuff's going to happen. We just know that that's going to happen. And it not only is it a normal thing, but it's a good thing. Like, I actually want it to happen. I remember about a year or so, or 18 months or whatever it was, within that time frame of being here, man, it was just really heavy. Uh, long story short, some people didn't like us becoming the church we were becoming. And, and some of the attacks were personal and horrific and sore, you know? I remember talking to Ella about it. In fact, none of you guys will know this, but here, cut out the bag for the first time ever. I actually handed in my notice once because it was so heavy. I was like, I can't do it anymore. I'm done. And that was me. I was going because I was like, I was too damaged. I was too hurt. And I went home and Ella said, would you take all those attacks for those people there who we've led to Jesus? And I went, yeah, I'm coming back. See what I mean? <laughs> and, that, and that's how it went. Would I take all the attacks if it means people will find Jesus? Absolutely, I would every single time. So actually, like, the strategy I believe God's given me today, given us today, is to be glad, to be thankful, and to be positive. You up for it? Be glad, be thankful, and be positive in all things. If we are deemed worthy of attack, I'm delighted. If we are seeing God move in such a way that Satan wants to come and try and kick us in the face, yeehaw, because God's stronger than him anyway. And we have nothing to fear. So I believe God's calling us as a church to be glad, to be thankful, and to rejoice always. There's like loads of Sunday school songs in there. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. Rejoice in the Lord all. Anyway, you know the songs, man. Some of you know the songs. See, these glad people... These glad people here, they listened gladly. Their gladness made it impossible 
to arrest Jesus. Their gladness made it impossible for evil to win. Their gladness made it impossible for the people that had an agenda to arrest Jesus to actually fulfill their agenda because there was too many people glad. How good would it be to be such a glad church that no attack could ever take root in this place? That'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? How good would it be to be so positive and so loving and so just happy that nothing could ever come? How good would it be? The gladness protected Jesus. Make no mistake, right? Jesus orchestrated his arrest. Jesus wasn't arrested by accident. Jesus wasn't surprised when he was arrested. Jesus orchestrated his arrest. Jesus was in this throng of glad people and nothing could happen to him. So he knew he was safe to say the things he had to say and teach the things he had to say because he knew he was safe because of the positivity of the people around him. But then... He took his disciples for a meal. And then after the day, and it says in John 13, verse 27, after he'd taken the, the, the morsel, it says, uh, Judas, sorry, after Jesus had taken the, the communion with Jesus, Satan entered him and Jesus said, what you are going to do, do quickly. Jesus sent him, right? Jesus sent Judas to do what he was going to do. Then what Jesus did was he took his disciples and he went to a dark and secluded place where an arrest could happen and there'd be no fight. Obviously, Peter tried to fight, but on his own against an army of Romans, that's just not going to work, right? But we, we, we see a few times in Scripture that Jesus was protected by crowds. That's the normal thing. So Jesus knew when he wanted to orchestrate his arrest because Jesus lovingly and, 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 and obediently went to the cross on our behalf, he sent Judas to do what he was going to do and he moved himself to a secluded and dark place where, where his arrest could happen. Whilst the crowd was positive, no attacks could happen. No attacks could come. So I really want us to be so positive as individuals and as a church that every single attack against any of us would fail at the first attempt. Are you up for that? It's really, really easy to attack one person. It's not easy to attack us all. Our attitude has to be, you come against my brother, you're coming against us all, pal. You come against my sister, you're coming, you come against one is, you're coming against all is. Because we're united as a church. That's why God calls for unity as well. Because we're strong when we're united. You can't shift us united. You can come and push me over, but you can't push us over. You know what I mean? You might be able to beat me in a tug of war, but you're no beating all is in a tug of war. Much harder to attack a united group of People, have you noticed in life that positivity makes negativity impossible? Have you noticed that? I'm going to show you a picture. Is there, have you got my picture? Do we remember the picture? Wait to see this. Look at that. <laughs> That's me and the former first minister of Scotland, Alex Salmond. I shared this on a Wednesday night, but I thought it was pertinent, right? So I'm talking to Alex Salmond at a breakfast. And I don't know why he said this to me, because it's... Anyway, he just came out with it, right? He was saying, when they were trying to do, they were trying to change a law, the, 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 the whole marriage reform law and all that stuff, this is what they were trying to reform it. And so he said, I had this uh, church group that agreed with me. And so I sat them in my right hand side just to make sure like I had support beside me. And then I went round the table and took people's opinion. And everyone's opinion 
was against what I was thinking, but I was all right because I knew that this person here was on my side. He said, but by the time it got to them, they'd listened to what everyone else said and they agreed with them. <laughs> and he was like, I don't know why he told me that, but he did. So like, it, like he didn't do it right. But see, when, when like, if you've got seven positive folk, this wee negative so-and-so can't say nothing because they'd look really silly. Do you know what I mean? Like positivity makes negativity impossible. So like, I want to be that positive, encouraging person so that negativity can't be around about me. I want to be that wee annoying guy that finds something positive in everything. That, that'll do me. I want to be that person. Sees the best in everyone. Sees gold in everything. I want to be, I want to be that church where negativity and gossip is so counter-cultural that no one would dare get involved in any of it. Do you want to be part of a church like that? That's where we're going. That's where I want to be. We want to encourage people to be encouragers and to build people up. Proverbs 27 verse 17. You all have heard this verse, or a lot of you, and a lot of us know it. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Now we always listen to that verse normally and take it as a positive thing, and it can be a positive thing. As we are encouraging one another positively, we'll, we'll get stronger and stronger in a positive way. Do you know what I mean? If, if we're helping each other to live good as Christians, we'll get better and better and better at that. But actually, if our iron is like, if our behavior's negative and our iron's negative, we sharpen each other in a negative way. It works the same way. If we are negative people or we're getting involved in negative stuff, we just drag everybody, we just drag everyone else down with us. So we've got a choice. We all go that way together. Or some of us can go that way. I don't want to be going that way. I want to be going that way. Are you with me? I'm up for that. Negative voices are normally the loudest. Like, if we want to leave a bad review, we'll find a way of leaving that bad review. But if we get good service, we're normally too busy to go and leave a five-star review because we're too busy. So it's like, when it's negative, I'm going to make a whole lot of noise. I want everyone to know how bad this service was in our restaurant but I'm too quiet to let people know how good it was and how good that way. Do you know what? We're like that, aren't we? It's just, I don't know why. I don't know how we ever got so negative, but like we just know that society is negative, pulling people down and just moaning at stuff all the time. That's a, that's a culture that we live in, but I just, I so desperately want to be counter-cultural. There was nothing negative about Jesus and there was nothing negative in Jesus. So let's positively change the narrative about Christians and positively change the narrative about church. See, everyone in the workplace or who you go to school with or people out there, they've got this understanding that church is boring. Why? Because people that are in boring churches moan about it all the time and talk about it all the time. And folk that are in good churches don't talk about it all the time. What about if we went to school in the workplace or we're about folk and we're going, to by the way, my church is awesome. This is what's happening in my church. This is the amazing things we're seeing in my church. What if we just were totally positive all the time? This place would explode. It would, because people are desperate for something positive in their life and people need Jesus more than they know. There's a narrative going about that churches just hurt people. Now, unfortunately, some churches have hurt people from time to time. And if you're here and you've been hurt by church, I'm really sorry because that should never have happened. But it's not actually the norm. 
It's the exception. But people think it because the people who have been hurt tell everybody about their hurt. Whereas those of us who have been built up and encouraged and restored and all that stuff, we, we seem to just keep it to ourselves. We need to make the positive noises so much louder than the negative ones. We need to tell people how good God is, how amazing God is, and talk about the stories of healing and restoration and salvation and all of that stuff. Like, I just, I just want to flip the narrative, man, and be really, really, really positive. I want to start a campaign of positivity. <laughs> Are you up for it? A campaign of positivity. Well, I can't, what, what will that look like, man? Every day, we wake up and we pray and we say, God, give me an opportunity today to be positive. Give me an opportunity today to positively speak about my Lord and Saviour and my church to people that I meet. I think God will provide those opportunities. And we start starting about Kirky and Cumberland and Kosaith or wherever you're all from and just talking about how life-giving church is, how, how, how God's moving. Like, make sure all the glory is going to God, by the way, and never to the church. But you know that. But if, if, we, if we have a campaign of positivity, folk are just going to go, I think I need some of that. Whereas when it's all the negative voices, why on earth would we think people would want to come into a church when all they've ever heard is negative stuff. Let's start a campaign of positivity. Are you with me? Who's joining it? Come on. Intentionally looking for ways to speak positively so that the voice of faith is much louder than the voice of fear. So that the voice of love is so strong that there's no room for the voice of hate. So that the support of the church, the leaders, the people here, the support for each other is so strong. There's no room for a voice of attack anywhere. It just doesn't have room. It just can't move. I want to have a church where the voice of affirmation is so strong that there's no room for a voice of rejection over anybody's life. I want a voice of encouragement to be so strong that there's no room for the voice of discouragement. I want the voice of life to be so strong that there's no room for the voice of death. I'd love a church like that. MDLs, and we can do it here, by the way. We can have that, we can see it. I want the voice of Jesus to be so strong that there's no room for any other voice to be at work in our church. I want the plans of Jesus to be so like to be so positive about the plans of Jesus that no other plans can prosper in our church. So I'm making a decision today that I'm going to be glad in all things. I'm going to be positive in all things. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm only spending my time with people that are the same. I'm spending my time, my valuable time with positive people. That's important. 1 Corinthians 15 says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. I don't want my good character to be corrupted because I'm with the bad company. And even more so, I certainly don't want to be the bad company. I mean, we need to be careful. Am I the bad company? Am I the negative voice? Am I the one that's pulling things down all the time? Is that like, seriously, sometimes we need to ask ourselves a question, is that me? And then hopefully, thankfully, we all get to the place and go, nah, no, that's not me. 
Thank you, Lord. But anyway, we want to make sure we don't surround ourselves with those people because guess what will happen if you do? You will become that person. If you surround yourself with negative people with the wrong company, you become the wrong company. I don't want to be the wrong company. I want to, nah, 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 I'm not for that at all. But it's around ourselves with positive people, with positive outlooks that want to build people up. If you surround yourself with people that build people up, guess what you will be? Built up. I want to be built up. That's, that's like us for me. MDLs. Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, focus on these things. That's what the Bible tells us to do. And we are so blessed that we've got so many wonderful things happening in this church. There's so much good things about this church. This church has been a blessing to so many people. Is absolutely everything great? Of course not. We're four and a half years in and it's going to take us some time. We're a young church full of young people, young, a, lot of, a lot of young Christians in this place. Is everything going to be right? No chance. But I'm going to focus on the bits that are. Whilst we as leaders will try and fix the bits that aren't they? You don't need to worry about that. I need to worry about that. You guys get to enjoy it. I get to go, here's another thing we need to deal with. Do you know what I mean? But you don't need to worry about that. You get to enjoy it. You get to like, come on. I'm going to focus on the good stuff. I'm going to focus on the incredible things that God has done here. And I'm going to look forward with immense excitement about what God is going to do in the future. That's what I feel called to do. And that's what I want us all to do moving forward. I focused on Jesus took himself to a secluded place to allow an attack. Plans against us. Nothing can harm us if we are surrounded by people who love us. I want to encourage you today. Do not ever remove yourself from a loving family who want the best for you. Far too often, I'm struggling. I'm just going to remove myself. Honestly, it's the daftest thing you could ever do. If you're struggling and you remove yourself from people that love you and you remove yourself from accountability, you're about to be taken out. It is only the voice of Satan that would tell you to remove yourself and take yourself to a secluded place where you're wide open for his attack to come against you. Don't ever fall for it. We need to take that lesson. Jesus deliberately put himself in a situation where that could happen to him but we need to learn from that and not we we don't need to die on a cross praise the Lord he done it for us we don't need to allow that we can actually do something against it Satan knows if he gets you on your own he's got the upper hand he can say whatever he wants and you'll believe it he can do whatever he wants and you'll probably accept it we have to never ever ever try and go alone never ever remove yourself from a family that loves you and from a place of accountability, it's, it's crazy how often I see Christians doing it. It breaks my heart, to be honest with you, because you, you, see, you see the attack coming a mile off, but, and, and every single time it's, God's told me to do this. No, he hasn't. God never tells people to remove themselves from accountability. God doesn't, God doesn't tell folk to remove themselves from church. God says never neglect meeting together as a habit of some. We've not, we've not to do that, because it's not sensible. We have to be part of loving each other 
and building, building each other up. Um, let's get the band back up. Jesus also, he went to the dark place, right? Jesus removed himself to a dark and secluded place because he knows that evil operates in darkness. So it was part of the plan. But as he as God's people, we don't operate in darkness. That's where evil operates. We operate in places of light. And I just want us to be careful of that. God's got incredible plans for this church. But if Satan can get any of us operating in darkness, behind the scenes, pulling people down, talking badly against one another, any of that stuff, we're losing the battle. We can't allow that. Never, ever allow yourself to be in that place of darkness. And sometimes, again, I love the honest questions we can ask ourselves. Am I in that place? Am I in a place where I'm working behind the scenes? Am I being honest and upfront with the people I need to be upfront with? Or am I, am I up to stuff in the background? I so desire, I so desire for us to be the church that we're called to be. I want to be the people that we are called to be. And I want to be part of a family, of the family that we are called to be. We're called to be a certain way as a church family and I want to be there. So let's embark on this campaign of positivity and let's become the most positive, loving, life-giving, affirming church in our whole nation. Are you up for it? Let's stand. Thanks for listening to the Home Church Scotland podcast. If you have any questions about what you heard today, feel free to get in touch with me. My email is dave at homechurch.scot.